This is Business Women Australia podcast, featuring industry leaders who bring their wealth of expertise from diverse areas to help you build a successful business. Now, on to the show. And welcome to another episode of Business Women Australia podcast. Now, my guest today says diversity is not just about race, gender, disability, or whether you're an immigrant. It's usually the unseen gap. It can be age, socioeconomic status, education, thought. And joining me to speak more about this today on the podcast is Marion Birchall. Marion is the Managing Director of Zola Holdings Proprietary Limited a management company or management consultancy business focused on the confluence of strategy, innovation and technology. She has a science or degree in science, sociology, policy and planning, along with a certificate in public leadership from Harvard Kennedy School of Government. She brings a unique perspective on topics based on her experience across many sectors, disciplines and practices. Now, specifically on today's show, Marion's going to share a deeper understanding of DEI as well as its benefits. She's going to talk about DEI extends beyond HR and training, find out how others are winning in the workplace. We're also going to talk about shifts in the DEI conversation to one of creating a better outcome for all. Welcome to the show, Marion. Hi, Anne-Marie. It's so great to be here today. Yes. Talking about a topic, I'm sure we can gather from the introduction that you're very passionate about. Before we dive into the key topics uh, so we can understand a little bit better about DEI and how we can integrate that more in our workplace and life, uh, what's that passion that drove you to uh, really excel in this area, but also help other organizations and so forth become more familiar with what this is? What, what was it about this particular area? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question, Anne-Marie. And I, I really think that it's about um, unlocking people's uh, latent skills and experience to essentially create a better work environment and, and a better world. Um, what, what I find is that uh, that is where the magic and the beauty lies, is actually creating those opportunities for people to excel. Um, and all that comes down to is creating a more inclusive work environment. Um, and given we spend so many hours at work, it's a really important part of our lives. Uh, and when we see this whole, uh, I guess, um, flow of people leaving the workplace. Uh, during COVID, we saw a significant amount of people uh, leaving work because they're focused on purpose um, and finding what that is and living that. When we look at some of the data, the uh, majority of people, in fact, 51% of those people left the workplace because they didn't feel that they were included. Um, and yet, I think that when we do provide those opportunities for people to be authentic, um, to come to the workplace as themselves um, and be able to contribute and add value um, through the range of experiences, their thinking um, and the other skills that they bring to their work that they're not necessarily hired for, we actually see a lot more benefit come not only for them um, mm -hmm. but also to uh, the, the clients, the customers um, and their colleagues as well. 
Yes. What are you noticing now that there has been, thankfully, more conversation around this particular area? And of course, you're an expert in this and, and supporting organisations. Are they becoming more open to um, finding out more about what this is? How is our workplace measuring up? And what do we need to do in order to have a deeper understanding and also to ensure that if we polled our current staff, that we wouldn't have a high percentage of people feeling disconnected from the workplace? How how are companies embracing that? Or maybe not, there's a, a bit of work to go. Yeah, absolutely, Anne-Marie. And I think this is a real hot topic at the moment. So I know we've just had International Women's Day um, as an example, um, but I think that uh, it is a hot topic. We're on the cusp of, I think, making some significant changes and it does come in leap and bounds. Um, I think that at the moment we do have a very traditional approach to diversity, equity and inclusion particularly with the focus on equity. Um, I think diversity, inclusion is the hardest bit to do, um, tend to get left behind. And what that traditional approach essentially looks like is it's in the realm of HR. We look at recruitment. So we've all seen adverts where um, people are trying to recruit uh, more women into the workplace. They're trying to include um, more um, racial diversity as well. Um, we also see it come through in terms of training, so mandatory training. I'm sure we've all been there. Um, and, uh, and we see it expressed through data in terms of the percentage of um, women at certain levels. Um, we see it through the percentage of different ethnic groups. Um, and that's essentially what we see expressed at the moment. Um, but what's interesting about that is that it doesn't actually deal with the core issue. And what we're seeing is that um, even though all companies and all people would suggest that diversity, equity and inclusion is a good thing, um, we're not actually seeing the shifts um, that are needed um, and partly that I think is due to that academicized, I'm just going to say that as a word, <laughs> approach to the topic where the reality is, is that we're missing the human factor. So the workplace is all about us being humans, us coming to the workplace as humans. And therefore, um, we need a better approach that looks at if we all agree that this is a good thing and we do have some of these things in place, what are we actually missing? And I think that that is the missing part of the jigsaw puzzle is how do you take what you learn and actually translate that in a practical way in the workplace? Mm -hmm. The other thing that I would say is that at the moment, DEI very much shines a spotlight on what is different. So it creates a natural way of dividing the us and them. So, you know, there are those that are the status quo, that are in positions of power, um, and then there's the other. And the current conversation shines the spotlight on the other and shines a spotlight on what is different. And I think in many ways that further creates the divide that happens. 
And so my view is that we need to shift the conversation in DEI from that to actually one of what is actually common amongst us that actually binds us together. And I suggest that there's more that we have in common than what we do have different. Um, And sorry, you go, Anne-Marie. No, as you were sharing that, it's interesting. I mean, this is, we're only going to be able to obviously scratch the surface today, but I think bringing awareness and having um, the ability to talk about that, you know, in one of the interviews that I did today, one of the things that became apparent around a table, a discussion table, was understanding each other's stories and being able to share stories. I think, you know, you mentioned that we're all individuals, we're all humans coming together. And I think what you, if I can, if I'm understanding it correctly, Correctly, organizations or, or there's a number of organizations now which recognize that DEI is important. So they may have implemented and have got policies and procedures in place to ensure that their business does that. But one of the things that we need to do in, in that too is also there's a mindset shift of every single team members that needs to be on board with that, isn't it? Otherwise, it becomes a very, well, we're doing this, say, for instance, a number of women around the boardroom table. Otherwise, uh, people are going to sense that aren't they if it's just a a tick in the box or whether the organization itself and the culture of the organization and everyone that's there lives and breathes it there's a different atmosphere isn't there is that kind of what you're what you're also sharing is so important that's exactly right Anne-Marie and if we do it as a tick box exercise it can actually be far more detrimental to everyone so it gets people offside because they feel like I have to do this mandatory training, um, you know, this isn't relevant to me, um, why are these people getting special treatment? And then on the other side, um, people are like, well, maybe people are thinking that I've only got to this level because it's tokenistic, because I'm here to meet a quota, um, because I'm here to improve the metrics of the organisation, I don't actually want the spotlight on me because I'm quite happy, um, you know, being under the radar and doing quite well without, you know, um, being brought to to the fore. Um, And so I think that it can be quite detrimental. But what this is really about when it comes to DEI is it really is a unifying thing. It's about bringing everyone together and focusing on the inclusion part and celebrating um, the differences that we have and the value those differences bring to the table. So diversity of thought, um, diversity of experience, um, and that experience can come because we might uh, have different sexual orientation or we might come from a different socioeconomic um, status. You know, when we have people who are writing policies for people that are homeless or disadvantaged, many of those people have never experienced that um, because they come from middle class or affluent families. So how can they actually develop things for people that they don't understand? And so we have this uh, culture of doing things for people because it's from a good place, but what we actually need to be doing it is doing it with those people so that we actually co-create and co-design those solutions together and that people are heard um, and and that there's a greater empathy for the experiences of people 
um, who may be falling through the cracks um, in in our workplace and our society. Um, the reality is is that you know 16% of companies report DEI programs in their annual reports. 76% don't have goals. 75% don't include it in their leadership development. This is actually a leadership issue, not an HR issue. Um, and 40% of companies view this as a legal compliance or regulatory um, issue. And yet on the flip side, we see that 81% of companies believe it's beneficial and 76% rate it as important. So there's this real interesting um, gap that's happening yes. And what the data suggests to me is that we all see it as a good thing. We just don't know how to do it. Yes. And the, the training programs that are traditionally put in place skim across this very complex issue and don't actually give people the tools to actually make it happen. And so I think some of those tools um, should really be around flipping the narrative to uh, instead of looking at it as a diversity, equity and inclusion discussion in the traditional sense of, you know, that separation and shining a light on what's different, but bringing people together, um, perhaps around a particular outcome that you're trying to achieve as an organisation and bringing different diverse people together to actually collaborate on those things. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's more of a way of which an organisation approaches things. It's more about the DNA and the culture of the organisation and how it actually leverages its diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And part of that is around bringing together around common things to work on. And we see that in some of the um, leading companies in the world. So if we have a look at some examples um, you know, Johnson & Johnson, great example. They have reimagined themselves several times, you know, since they uh, started as a company. Their focus is on maximising the global power of diversity and inclusion to drive superior business results and sustainable competitive advantage. So they see it as a way of actually getting one up um, in terms of the marketplace. And one of the things that they've done, which I found very interesting, was they have a diversity university, which is around giving people the tools and shining a light on the benefits of working collaboratively. Mm -hmm. um, another example is MasterCard. I'm sure we all have one of those MasterCards in our wallets. Um, and this is really around focusing on diversity is what drives better insights, better decisions, better products. It's the backbone of innovation, and I 100% agree with that. Um, so they uh, look at it in a way that it's more than just policies and practices. Yes. Uh, it's an integral part of their company and how they operate and how they see the future of the products and services that they deliver. Yeah. And, you know, to your earlier question around why am I passionate about this, I think everyone knows that, that I'm all about innovation. Mm. Um, and for me, diversity, equity and inclusion is a key part of driving innovation because it is where you get your new insights um, from and where uh, there's a track record of when you involve different people you actually drive better outcomes, but you also 
uh, develop better products and services that meet the market needs. Yes, what I love about those two examples that you gave is it sounds as if the organisations almost roundtabled that and really clearly defined what it means to them as an organisation individuals within the organisations feel compelled towards that as well. And I I notice how it doesn't focus on an individual, but rather as a collaborative who are focusing towards what's so important to them. And they all believe that it's important. It's interesting from other organisations then who are thinking about, well, we really do need to to take what we're doing and really make it part of almost like the lifeblood of the organisation so that others can can really get behind us. Would you say that if some organisations wanted to create that, it would be great to get people around the table to contribute to the development of what their statement would be? What does it mean in this organisation when we talk about DEI? Is that something you would encourage businesses to do collaboratively with their team or key team members? Absolutely, Anne-Marie. Um, there are two points I would make to answer your question. The first one is um, it is a team sport. So, uh there should be a co-design um, where that happens, where everyone gets together to, to look at what does this mean specifically for us. It does need to be bespoke um, to the organisation um, and look at, well, what is it that we can do um, together that makes sense to us in terms of where we're trying to go as an organisation um, and what we're trying to achieve Um, and what would work best for us. Um, It also then allows people to be heard as well Um, and it's part of the inclusion part as well because uh, a lot of work that we do um, in organisations is strategy work but it's at that nexus of strategy and innovation with an eye for implementation which is quite unusual because most people when they develop strategy they don't think about how it's going to be implemented Um, And they don't do it from a design approach that involves people within the organisation. Usually it's like a cohort um, that do some secret service stuff locked away in a room and then they inform people through a presentation um, about what they're doing. Um, And that is certainly not the approach that we would recommend here. Um, So I agree with you, it should be co-designed with everyone involved so that everyone can get behind it and that it means something to the people that are going to deliver it. Um, The second part to that is once you've developed that overarching strategy, each team is going to have their own strategy that links into that. So if we're looking at it from a diversity, equity and inclusion point of view, It's how are they going to work within the realms of of what has been set. And so part of that is around those bespoke um, and integral practices that that are designed for people in mind um, and are tangible and practical to what they're going to do and how they're going to operate um, within that. And it's far more complex um, than just having a strategy or measuring KPIs Um, but you do need to think about what supports need to be put in place. So part of that deeper thinking in the co-design is 
okay, well, if we're going to measure these things and, and we, we're serious about um, uh, having uh, greater inclusion and diversity um, in our organisation, what are the supports that need to be put in place? Um, is it a mentorship program um, or do we need to create allies? Um, do we need to um, have a leadership program that, you know, ties some of this into it so that our leaders have the capability to be able to better support what it is we're doing um, in a more inclusive way? Not, And what I mean by that is not in the traditional approach of focusing on um, measuring metrics or tick the box, mm. but actually having that deeper conversation around the complexities of DEI and that human factor and how you actually integrate this um, as part of a leadership program. Um, and you also need to have uh, data that makes sense to the organisation as well. So yeah. other than just, you know, making sure that you, you're meeting quotas or you're um, measuring how many females versus males you have in executive positions or how many ethnic people you've got in your organisation, you know, versus non-ethnic people. Um, it needs to be more about are we actually meeting what we're trying to achieve as an organisation in diversity, equity and inclusion? What are the bits that matter most to us that we have um, thought of in our co-design approach as an organisation? And are we actually meeting that? And if not, why not? So let's have a deeper conversation about what's going on here and testing the assumptions that we might hold and actually looking at how might we do better as an organisation to unlock the potential that we have in our people who are our most valuable assets. Yeah. I think having that conversation and finding out what is the feedback, what feedback could we get from our existing staff, it can be incredible it can also be scary can't it from leaders because it's kind of like we're going to get told well I would assume and would hope that the environment would be such that team members would be able to give an honest um, approach I mean in some instances maybe it would be um, if team members some don't feel um, as confident in speaking up if their name is a, beside the the feedback so maybe do it anonymously um, and that at least the discussion can be had because it's one of those things, isn't it? We can assume that we're implementing things that is going to be supportive for our team uh, without really checking in. Is, is this important to you and what are some of the gaps? Would you, what conversation would you have or insights to enable a team to start gathering some feedback and, and in a you know, constructive, um, empowering way? Would you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, so actually we have designed a tool to help with this. Um, so if people are interested, they're more than welcome to get in touch with us. Um, there's two parts to, to the tool. Um, the first one is, you know, something that we're happy to, to, show, to share with people um, and it essentially is the conversation starter um, with the team. So, you know, it looks at, you know, where do we think we, we are performing, you know, in terms of diversity, um, equity and inclusion compared to others uh, in our industry? Um, you know, do we think that some of these, um, uh, you know, do we have a strategy? Um, is it working? 
um, how, how are we feeling about uh, whether we're being included or not um, in conversations um, uh, around um, delivery of, of services um, and some of the decisions that are made within an organisation. Um, obviously, sometimes, you know, it's not appropriate um, to, to have everyone involved in those conversations, um, but, but certainly, you know, there are, there's a time and a place for it. Um, so, so there is something that we have developed that we're happy to share with people. Um, the second part to that is um, we also have a platform that's available um, to people that helps measure um, where they're at uh, and give um, some expert advice on uh, solutions or initiatives that they may want to think of going forward. Um, and that can be an annual thing where they uh, can report back on in terms of how they're actually uh, measuring up um, and what they're actually achieving within those areas that are agreed to through a co-design approach. Um, so I think that, you know, there's definitely ways in which people can do it. Um, the third way is... Uh, Having, having the conversation and testing the assumptions. So a really good example of this um, was a particular Treasury department um, who will remain nameless but will we'll let you know that it was Treasury. Um, and they were struggling with uh, an equity issue um, where they found that um, the majority of their executive members were male. Um, and yet when they looked at the data, uh, they found that uh, when they recruited at a graduate level, um, it was half male, female. And then at some point, usually at the middle management um, layer, there was a shift beyond that. Um, so at least, A, they were measuring um, and they had some data available and they asked the question why. And initially they assumed it was because at that particular level uh, women would be uh, leaving the workforce and having babies. Yes. Um, and and, that's, and their assumption was that was the case. Um, and while that was certainly part of the answer, when they actually had a deeper conversation and a deeper look, they realised what was happening was that at that particular level um, there was a split that happened in terms of skill set. So there were um, the men tended to be more attracted to doing the technical uh, side of things, looking at the data crunching, looking at the analysis, um, and they weren't so good at the softer skills uh, in terms of communication, network, relationship building. And so this was generally left to... Um, the females in the organisation um, to do. And what they then realised was that when people went for the promotions, the job descriptions were really skewed towards people that could demonstrate against the technical side of things. And so their own structures reinforced the gender inequity that was occurring within that organisation. And so once they actually did the deep dive and asked the question and removed the assumptions that they had, they could then actually do something about that. And so they put in place um, a, a way of working which meant that everyone at that level had to be doing both 
regardless of whether they were naturally affiliated to a certain way or not, in order to allow people to move into the next level. And they also changed the job description forms to have equal weighting against uh, the different skill sets. Yeah, incredible example. And I would imagine that um, as the team or organisation continue to monitor the fact that they encourage both men and women to have both of those areas in the technical and the men also with the communication styles, it just enriched both men and women who were in the workplace uh, through having uh, yeah, experience in both of those areas. Because as you know, you can have the best technical skills, but if that is accompanied with a lack of communication style, style and, and, and you only can reach so far too. So that's really important. I mean, fascinating um, discussion that we've had. As we mentioned, we've just only scratched the surface. But as you've just said in that example beautifully, you can see that when we start to do some further investigation, but not just skimming, but looking deeper into what is driving that. Let's put our assumptions aside, maybe use those as a guideline, but let's be courageous enough to dive deeper into that, ask the questions, and then from that come up with a conversation that really does capture what's going on in our workplace so that we can make a change that will ensure a better outcome for all. And I would imagine that particular department had some great outcomes because of doing that, yes? Yes, absolutely. So not only in terms of um, going forward, the type of um, solutions and initiatives that were driven out of um, that organisation, but also uh, they did uh, get a bit more parity um, in terms of gender going forward. Now, obviously, that's a gender example um, and quite binary in terms of the gender example, um, as opposed to looking at um, the full gender spectrum um, but it is a really good example um, of of exactly what we were just talking about around asking the why doing the deeper thinking having the courage um, particularly at that leadership level to actually um, investigate it um, further and then come up with um, really good solutions um, that would actually make a difference because I think a lot of times we get caught in the noise um, and we make assumptions about that and when we put things in place, we might only be dealing with the noise, we might not actually be dealing with the core of the issue, which is actually what would make the bigger impact. Yeah. What you're speaking about today and how you, we've already mentioned and how you've said that DEI extends beyond just HR and training. And so often as organisations, what we can tend to do, oh, well, that's just marketing's division or that's just HR and training. It reminds me often of a conversation that often marketing, you know, we had about the marketing department, oh, you know, not recognising that the full customer journey extends throughout the company, you know, or, or every division has some form of touch point or another with a customer. And we need to think of that customer journey, not just in sales, not just in marketing, but the deliverables, the whole spectrum. And as you say, when the whole organisation, all of the divisions look at um, 
not just from a, you know, through the lens of HR and training, it can create an environment that will ultimately create a better outcome for all. And that's, I guess, what everybody would want in a workplace and the organisation too, because everyone then would be working more harmoniously uh, together toward the common goal of the, in the deliverables of uh, the company. Yes. Absolutely, Anne-Marie. And the reality is, is that we all come to work because we want to add value. We want to live our purpose. Um, we want to be doing good. Um, no one comes to work because, you know, they want to, you know, cause a bit of havoc and, and you know, destruction. Um, and, and DEI has certainly in the past um, been focused on um, wanting to um, do better and engage different parts of our community to help with that. Um, but I feel like in some regards it's become tokenistic um, and it's not taken as seriously as it should um, and uh, people aren't given the tools to actually make it happen and it's become more of an activist, um, you know, perhaps uh, view of, of what should essentially be part of a company's DNA, particularly if it wants to be high-performing um, and have high-performing teams and actually create, um, you know, market share um, and look at continued sustainable growth um, in the marketplace. It all comes down to your most valuable asset, which are your people, and your people are wanting to be there um, because they feel valued, because they feel heard, because, you know, they they are engaged. Um, and the way to do that um, is to allow them to be authentic, um, bring their full selves to work, so not just what they've actually been employed to do, but bring them their full skill sets um, their full experience um, and their full mindsets and capabilities um, and engage them in a way that allows them to solve problems within the organisation, um, be it, you know, something that could be quite small to something that's quite large. Um, and that's why I see, um, you know, that there needs to be a shift in the narrative and the conversation around DEI into one of high-performance organisations and teams around leadership and around innovation. Um, and that is, I think, uh, the common factor that creates the environment and the culture um, for DEI to be successful. Fantastic. Marianne, how can people find out more about the work that you do or speaking to you uh, about maybe coming into their organisation to support them in doing some of the things that you talked about today? What's the best way for them to contact you other than to go to the businesswomenaustralia.com.au website? Absolutely. <laughs> Glad you got that in there, Anne-Marie. Um, so other than the Business Women Australia website, um, people can certainly contact me through our own website, which is uh, marianvirtual.com, um, and uh, they can certainly send us a, a contact um, there. Um, and on LinkedIn as well, um, you can find me there and send me uh, a message and all my contact details are available there as well. 
Um, and before we go, I just want to tell one quick story if I can. Yeah, um, so I know I'm going to circle this right around to your earlier first question, Anne-Marie, about why. Um, and it really is tied into why we created our company in the first place, Azola. So for those of you are listening that aren't a scientist like me, um, Azola is a small aquatic plant that changed the world in which we know today. It's a small, unassuming plant um, that was uh, that was unbound uh, in terms of its growth. Um, it could uh, generate its own oxygen and uh, generate uh, its own nutrients from a small amount of water. Uh, and in doing so, it grew and created the environment for other organisms to to be um, and it had such a profound impact on the world in which we know it's been called the azola effect and it created the world in which we live in today and so it's an analogy for what we believe um, the world should be and what organizations and companies should be and so we help people create their own azola effect um, and dei and innovation and leadership are all part of that, which is why we're passionate about it, because we love seeing people um, bringing their full selves and their full potential um, to their workplace and to their lives, and it gives us a big smile, um, and that's what we like to celebrate. So that's exactly why we're having the conversation, Anne-Marie. I love that. Let's all be let's all be like the Azola plant and... Um... And, yeah, wherever we are, you know, um, do that, have the Azola effect. It's amazing. I didn't know that. But uh, isn't that wonderful to be able to, um, that's from a branding point of view, I love that because your story <laughs> is very much empowered through the work that you do. So that's just incredible. So, yes, please reach out to Marion um, as you can hear from the stories that she shared. She's very passionate about that. And not only should organisations imagine what's possible through just some of the examples that uh, you shared today, Marion, for organisations who are really living and breathing that, the outcomes for all, um, individually and, you know, collaboratively from that organisation. And that flows on through to the customers, stakeholders, shareholders. Um, people can make it, can really see a difference. And I think the organisations that start to do that, really caring for their team members from a personal level. I've seen it even in individuals who've worked with organisations that didn't, um, not, not just with DEI, but other areas where I'm thinking about the individual um, it's it's a breath of fresh air and it, it, it inspires team members to contribute because they feel valued, you know. You do that, don't you, and you create an environment that allows people to bring, uh, yeah, bring themselves to that workplace. Well, thank you once again for coming on the show. Thank you, Anne-Marie. It's always a pleasure. You've been listening to Business Women Australia podcast. Want to become part of a dynamic collective of women who are passionate about business success and personal growth? Go to businesswomenaustralia.com.au forward slash membership to apply. That's businesswomenaustralia.com.au forward slash membership.